0: As we turn together to scripture, please pray again with me. Gracious and loving God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray today that you would guide us into all truth by your spirit's power and show us how to live in imitation of Jesus Christ, And for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, beginning at the fourth verse. Hear the word of God. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, that is, to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. And as he said this, He called out, let anyone with ears to hear, listen. Then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and listening they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed... Is the word of God the ones on the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy but these have no root they believe only for a while and in a time of testing fall away and as for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for that in the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Spring comes, but not without a struggle. When we set our clocks forward, we welcomed longer days, but if you're anything like me, you also lamented the loss of an hour's sleep. We're all starting to spend more time outside I took my laptop out on my balcony to write this sermon. But when the March wind threatened to topple my Diet Coke over onto my keyboard, I came back inside. This week, as I've walked my dog around the neighborhood, it's clear that the freeze of last month has affected the flowers. I see some red buds peeking out, but no wildflowers, not yet not where I usually spot them. Spring is near. It's coming. It's inevitable, but there is a struggle involved. This parable has a similar dynamic. It's about the word of God, the good news of God's kingdom. A new divine reality is breaking into our own. Jesus embodies this. He is the Word, the Word made flesh, the living Word. It's his story, his life, death, and resurrection that reveal who God is and what God is about once and for all. God has become available to us in Jesus Christ forever with no takebacks. You know what they say, you can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. Can't get glitter out of the carpet. Once the seed has been scattered, you cannot gather it back up again. God is here. God's kingdom is surely coming. But this good news comes with a struggle. The parable's main concern is what challenges the word, what stops the seed from taking root, growing up and bearing fruit? What stops our Spiritual growth? What stops us from fully participating in the life of God, the life that God intends for us? This struggle is real. Faith is a process. We move from hearing about God to believing in God, from believing in God to trusting God, and from trusting God, maybe just maybe, to being transformed. Sometimes in this process, we all know it's one step forward and two steps back. Sometimes it's everything at once, and then nothing for a very long time. What creates this struggle, according to the parable, are circumstances. Some circumstances that we can control In some circumstances, it seems we cannot. The seeds, they can't help where they've fallen. I find myself feeling sorry for them and sorry for us. Their plight is ours. We know. We know about the seeds on the path. We know the devil's wiliness. We know how a vulnerable heart can close right up, unable to receive the love of God, unable to believe that such a love is even possible. We know about the seeds that fell on the rock. We know about rootlessness. We are the ones who felt really good so long as life was going our way and We are the ones who've fallen into despair when life dishes out disappointment. We are the ones dissatisfied and looking for love in all the wrong places. And we know about the seeds among thorns. Those are the ones choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. What aspect of modern life doesn't have a chokehold on faith? Our souls are overloaded with so many things. With news feeds and Slack channels, college admissions, job promotions, the rat race, the binge watch, the endless quest for the best home, the best body, the best marriage, the best investment. You name it, you know. You know about the seeds that have fallen among thorns. We all know it's our faith. It's our faith that's empty, our faith that's parched, our faith that's overwhelmed these days. Last week, I received a package of wildflower seeds in the mail from a friend. Actually, it was cut out pieces of plantable seed paper with easy instructions. One, soak in water overnight. Two, plant under a thin layer of soil, three, water thoroughly and keep moist, and four, watch love grow. I liked that, but I was also skeptical. I have to admit at this point, I am not good at gardening. I'm not careful enough, as our withered jade plant will attest. I forgot to bring it inside during last month's freeze, I left the seeds in their package. The scholar Francois Bovan said that a parable is an everyday occurrence used to engage the audience and bring them to a decision. We are not meant to make connections between the ancient story and our modern lives without also making a decision. What are we going to do about this parable? What invitation is here for us? Can I tell you what it's not? This parable is not an invitation to judge other people. For many of us, it is easy to hear this parable and to think we've got a lot of stuff figured out. Like, we know who's really saved, like, we know whose faith is serious and whose faith is shallow. Those kinds of thoughts flood to mind, but they aren't the point. And often they reveal more about ourselves than they do about other people. In the end, it is ourselves that we must face. Good thing it's Lent. Here is a space, a container to deal with our dirt. We can address the circumstances of our own struggle to be faithful You know, among the factors that Jesus names, it might be the thorns, those cares, riches, and pleasures of life that we are most able to recognize and to deal with. Now, few of our cares, riches, or pleasures are inherently bad. A care might be raising children or discerning a vocation. The riches of life are meant to be used. The pleasures of life are meant to be enjoyed. If you look carefully, what harms the tender plant of the parable is the thorn that grows up with it. I want you to imagine that. The sprout and the thorn growing up together, winding around each other until they are completely entwined, enmeshed. And then I want to ask you, what are you tangled up in? Do you know what I mean? What is it in your life that you hold maybe a little too tightly? What might you try to keep from God? What are you trying to hide or have only for yourself? Now, it might be one of the usual suspects, money, power, success. But it could be a grief. Or a grudge. It might be a desire or a dream. An idea of yourself or the way things ought to be. Sin, and that is what we're talking about. Sin is not the thing itself. It's how you hold it. As the author of Hebrews put it, sin is what? Hinders our relationship with God by clinging closely, by entangling us. I think what we find in this parable of Jesus is an invitation to loosen your grip. Loosen your grip on whatever it is that you've got a hold of that's got a hold of you. I think you'll find that to be empty handed is also to have hands-free for what comes next. The word of God, it's what we are meant to hold. What sets apart the seeds in good soil is that these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. But what does it mean to hold fast to the word? Maybe it means reading the Bible a lot. I'd love to see you in Bible study, shameless plug. But in seriousness, I think there's more to it than that. These words, hold fast, hold fast. You know, they make me think about the way people were always clutching at Jesus, the living word, as he went about his earthly ministry it's elsewhere in Luke's gospel that the same Greek word is used to describe how when people sought Jesus and came to him, they also wanted to hold on to him to keep him from ever going away. I think about the woman who suffered from hemorrhages for years and how in the crowd her fingers grasped for the fringe of Jesus' clothing. I think of the woman whose story we heard just a couple of weeks ago, who bathed Jesus' feet, dried them with her hair, and could not stop kissing them. I also think about the ones who, after Jesus' death, would reach for the resurrected Christ. About Mary Magdalene in the garden at Easter dawn. And I think about doubting Thomas, who longed only to place his fingers In the wound it's to such as these those who long to touch jesus to hold him these are the ones to whom jesus reaches back when we come to god with naked undefended desire as we are and without any kind of front grace rushes right into our hands Hold fast to the word. Hold fast to Christ in an honest and good heart. I invite you to really hear that. Honest and good. Not perfect, not exceptional. Honest and good. Honest like Nathaniel, the Israelite in whom there was no deceit. He was the one who had to wonder if anything good could come out of Nazareth. And still, he followed Jesus. Honest. Honest like the one who cried out, I believe. Only help my unbelief. Good. Good is the portion that Mary chose when she sat and listened at Jesus' feet. Same word. This is also good like Joseph of Arimathea who simply gave what he could the tomb that would hold Jesus though not for long. We do not have to be perfect. In fact, it's pretty important that we're not. Because as the apostle Paul reminds us, God's power and it's the only power that matters. It's made perfect in weakness. This weakness is not the kind of weakness which we show by sinning and forgetting God. It's the kind of weakness which means being completely supple, completely transparent, completely abandoned in the hands of God. Those are the words of the Orthodox writer Anthony Bloom, who goes on to say, You remember how you were taught to write when you were small? Your mother put a pencil in your hand, took your hand in hers, and began to move it. Since you did not know at all what she meant to do, you left your hand completely free in hers. This is what I mean by the power of God being manifest in weakness. You could think of that also in terms of a sail. A sail can catch the wind and be used to maneuver a boat only Because the sail is so frail. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. If I might add one more image. Consider a seed. A delicate seed that by disposition alone struggles up through the soil to stand in the sun. Just as the sun calls plants toward its light. God draws us and we are drawn. Simple and natural, honest and good enough as we are. You know, yesterday I soaked the seed papers and today I will bury them. This Lent, We have been called to engage life's interruptions, to be open to God's presence and activity, to acknowledge the holy as it breaks into the mundane. Last week, Emily challenged us to set priorities as we begin to emerge from this pandemic year. But this question of what we will put first in our lives, it comes with a caveat. What will have to move down the list so that holy things like joy and gratitude and love can have pride of place? For most of us, that may be the more painful and difficult decision point. Perhaps the surest sign of spring this year is that the live oaks are dropping their leaves. Despite all efforts to rake them up or blow them away, these little leaves are everywhere in my neighborhood. They're lying on the grass and on the sidewalk. They're floating in the air and in the uncovered pool of my apartment complex. It looks like a mess. But lately I've come to see it as a hopeful sight because if God has anything to do with it, What's lost makes way for fresh, new growth. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.